Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take, Take it, it away, away Jeff, Jeff Manuel. Manuel. Woo! Yeah! What a dumb commercial. How's it going, everybody? We're here. Hope you're hanging in there. Let's get it going here. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, April 1st. Oh, hey. April Fool's Day. Oh, no, the joke's on us, huh? Your Bendrovsky show's just moment away, moments away, but before we get into that, let's thank these unions. The International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International <laughs> Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. And, of course, today's Bendrovsky show for Wednesday, April 1st, is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, song of the day. Well, in honor of the great John Prine, and Ooh. and because it's topical, some of the things we're going to talk about. But John Prine, man, John Prine is, uh, ladies and gentlemen, one of the singers. If you ask me, uh, he's my favorite songwriter of all time. I'm well, saying I was right going to say it's one of the few that Dennis and I both like, and I agree with you 100. percent Love John Prine. Pride and Joy of Maywood, Illinois. Came out of uh, Proviso uh, High School. I don't even think there was a West, so it was just Proviso in those days. Was a mail clerk, was in the Army. It was discovered. Where was he discovered? At a folk club, I want to say, uh, uh, in Old Town. Chris Christopherson wrote him up and uh, got his first record cut. And he's a great songwriter, D. You're absolutely correct. And he... Uh, is doing better now. He had coronavirus. He got the COVID nineteen. He's doing better now. Is that said correct? he's stable. His wife said he's stable. Mm, well, that's good. So all how about that of... song of the day? Oh, I'm sorry. Jeez, dear please. Abby, dear Abby, but be you, be sad, bewildered, bewildered, bewildered. You have no complaints. You are what you are, and you ain't what you ain't. Johnny Prime, everybody. <laughs> please stop. 
knocking on the table so hard. The Ben Jarofsky <laughs> Show starts now. It is Wednesday, April 1st, and live from Ben's attic, mm-hmm. this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's the return of professor, author, and dear friend of the Ben Jarofsky Show, David Ferris, over the phone. <laughs> Now your host, not over the phone, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Get Me Tiger Wednesday. And here's why. I'm like the rest of you folks, trying not to lose my mind, looking for respite from the corona madness wherever I can get it. But folks, it's really hard. One of my allies, one of my best allies in this fight to for sanity uh, is a Netflix series. Uh, called uh, Tiger King, and you probably... I like how you're explaining this to everybody. It's a Netflix series. Not sure if you've heard of it or not. Well, you know, some people haven't. Yeah, right. Haven't you ever heard of the parenthetical in journalism? Do you know about that? No. In journalism, you're taught not to assume anything. Now, it's interesting. There's a conversation. I'm on a uh, detour. Uh, but uh, there's a whole interesting conversation on this at, at the reader for years. So, for instance, when I'm writing political stories, and I mention, let's say, oh... Uh, Mayor Richard Daly, okay? I can't assume that absolutely everybody knows that the Mayor Richard Daly I'm uh, referring to is the father as opposed to the son, even if I signify that it was in the 1960s that he was the mayor. And so you have to do the parenthetical. And sometimes for a political reporter, the things you have to do parentheticals about are so freaking obvious. But the editors tell you, you can't assume any level of knowledge from the people that you're dealing with because, you know, let's face it, most of them are paying attention. And so you're always constantly having to educate. So if you educate them, so if you're in journalism for a long time, you're constantly putting those parenthetical reminders. You listen to some of the journalists we interview, like whenever they talk about anything. You watch, listen to Romana when she talks on Friday. You watch. Almost any time she makes a reference, she has that drop back, and then she explains what it was. Just because there could be one person yeah, out there. You're talking about explaining boring stuff. This is the Tiger King. <laughs> okay. All right. I will now name, let's see, uh, Kevin Durant. How many of our listeners know who Kevin Durant is? Oh, the Durantula. Yeah. So, in other words, there's things that you know in your heart of hearts, and you can't believe that other people don't know. And they don't know him, so you need the parenthetical. Remember that great uh, interview we did with Lior and Philip, where I, they were astounded by my ignorance of popular music. What was the one kind of music that I didn't know? D, remember it? Uh, God, it was a certain kind of rock. P rock was it? Progressive Something. rock. Yeah. What's that? And they're like, Oh my God. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> yes, Tiger King. This Netflix series, like Dennis says, most of you probably know about it, but there's some out there who don't. It's about these insane people who uh, are uh, nuts about big cats and uh, not something, an affinity I have. Uh, lions and tigers, not really my thing. More of a dog guy. More of a dog guy, but I'm not like going to get a wolf. You know what I'm saying? It's like these guys are not just like cat lovers. Like, the, you know, like I have a Siamese or something like that. No, they like lions and tigers. Anyway, uh, yes, Dennis is correct. You probably have all seen it. It's the number one show on Netflix. There's a good chance you've seen it. So really, the parenthetical I need not do. Uh, I will say this, though. Uh, 
it is about really what it's about are a bunch of batshit crazy people. Uh oh, I swear. Hey, wow. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry, come on. Man. Sorry, man. Here comes the train. I got carried away by the train. It's my Kim Fox moment. You think Bill Conway's going to make a commercial? What kind of rowdy about it? show are we doing here? The train cursing? Uh, but you know, the funny thing, D, about uh, the, my love for this show and the fact that I've been obsessively watching it and talking about it with anybody that uh, has seen it, you've not seen it yet. No. Yeah. I don't uh, have Netflix. Yes, you do not have Netflix. Uh, you should get what you sign up for. Like the isn't there like a trial period? You can yeah, get it for a month. Every now can... and again, I'll miss the Trailer Park Boys and I'll sign up and I'll watch all those and then I'll just get off of it again. Uh, so maybe you could sign up for Tiger King. Anyway, uh, so you know, generally, I like I would not be watching Tiger King. I'd be above it all because you know, God. The number one show on Netflix? I'm too cool, you know, to watch that. Or then if I did, like, watch one episode just so I could be a part of the conversation, my inner NPR would come out of me, you know. It's very ironic. The show is ironic. That's like, back the old, one time I was on, uh, they actually invited me to be on Channel 11, which uh, they had that reporter show where the reporters sit around a table and and discuss the news of the, the week. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. So they had me on the show, and I was, you know, they, Every now and then, there were like four of us, three uh, general assignment reporters and a sports guy. And uh, so everybody got to participate in the news of the day. And then they got, it was, they got to the part of the show where it was sports. They would only let the sports guy talk. I'm like, I know as much about sports as this guy. Why don't I get to talk? Uh, this is the sports guy. He got to participate in the political stuff. He doesn't know anything about politics. Uh, anyway, but they treated sports like, oh, it's, so, it's so ironic. People actually care about these things. So that's how I probably would have handled Tiger King back in the day, but not anymore. What year was that? What year was that when they asked you to go to WTT? Uh, was, well, the, uh, the, probably the last time they invited me because I complained because they wouldn't let me. Uh, hey, what about me and the sports thing? Uh, the sports guy. Yeah, Rom's cool. Yeah, that's exactly what he, Guys, he's really cool. That is exactly. Dude, that's exactly how it went down. He's like. Uh, yeah, I, my kid's in a preschool with, uh, what was Daly in the time? That's how long ago it was. Daly's lawyer, and, uh, you know, I heard from him. He's really cool. This is like the level of discourse. But they allow that. I can't weigh in on the Bears quarterback situation. I know as much about the Bears quarterbacks. Anyway, where was I? Oh, Tiger King. So, yes, back in the old days, I would have been much like a host on NPR. Oh, that's a very interesting, Tiger King. <laughs> how ironic. But no, now I'm hooked. I need it. I need my daily dose. Those freaking lunatics provide a little sanity. They're so insane that it gives me, you know, a break from the real insanity of life. And I'm watching it and going, oh, my God, this is great. I love this. Yeah, so a little insane. Like, for instance, yesterday I went to the Walgreens, D. Had to pick up a prescription. So I went at, you know, it was dusk. Nobody's out on the streets. I'm very careful and cautious. It was social distancing. Hey, Lori, I listen to what you said, okay? I practice what you preach. So I'm walking down the streets, and there's like a guy in the, uh, coming at me on my side. D, what I do? I walk to the other side of the street. I'm not, you know. Nice, good job. That's how I do it. Expert and, social distancing. Yeah, and since all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's another guy coming at me from the opposite street. Boom, right back. 
or maybe sometimes I have to walk down the middle of the street so that the passerbys and the sidewalk don't get hit by a car. Yeah, I know. There's the other thing. Oh my God, I feel like Gail Sayers in the you know ducking and dodging the tacklers because here comes a car. Oh God. But you know what? That's how you do it in this day and age. If you want to get a little fresh air, you've got to practice social distancing. Anyway, so I'm be very cautious. I'm at the Walgreens. Get my uh, prescription filled. I'm feeling really good about it. I have a nice exchange with the uh, pharmacist. And I thank her for her being at work on the front lines. And uh, as I turn the corner around an aisle, I have to admit this, D. I have my head down and I was texting. I look up. There's a dude. He had been coming right. I didn't see him. He turned the corner when I had my head down. He's coming right at me. And I swear to God, it's like I don't... I don't know if it was my imagination took control, but I swear to God, he's like he had a runny nose. I'm like, ah, what? You can't rely on anybody to be social. I was like, I'm gonna tell Lori Lightfoot on you. Anyway, so that's, <laughs> I started freaking out. I'm gonna walk home. I'm like, oh no, I have it, I have it. Happy to say, no signs of it yet, but come home, give me Tiger. You know, I'm all freaked out. Give me Tiger. I watch Tiger, all right? That's how one of the things I do. Okay, that, yeah, yeah. Did you wash your hands after all of that? Oh, yeah. Okay, oh, that's on. the part you need to tell. Successfully watch. Although, there I am. I'm walking. <laughs> Can you give me a, a sink, some soap? Uh, anyway, so I get home. I'm still reading a book. I think, well, that's a good idea. I'll read. That'll uh, keep me entertained. Uh, but guess what I'm reading? I'm reading The Stand. I thought the brightest idea I've ever, uh, Stephen King's 1,400-page epic about a pandemic. It's a great book. It's a great read. But what kind of lunatic would read about a pandemic, especially a 1,400-page epic on it, in the middle of a pandemic? But there I am, D. So at night when I'm reading the book, all of a sudden I go, ah, get me, tiger. I need a break. <laughs> Wake up today. What do I see? Newspaper. The following stories. I, I it was devastating, man. It was re headline, grim toll projected, even with distancing. Second headline, silent infections hobbling battle to thwart virus. Third headline, new controls in Asia signal fears of second wave. This one is a really depressing story because like, when you think it's over, it's not really over. It was like 10 in the morning. I'm like, give me tiger. You know, usually D, I do my TV watching at night. It's not the kind of thing I do during the day. You know, I'm supposed to keep my mind sharp and keep focused and be businesslike. And, uh, you know, but watching TV at 10 o'clock is sort of like drinking at 10 o'clock. You know what I mean? You just, that's a practice I want to fall into. But having seen those uh, articles in the New York Times, I was like, can we start watching Tiger right now? Tiger. I need Tiger. <laughs> Give me Tiger. Anyway. I'm going to uh, give, you go, give you all a diversion from the madness today because we have a great show, a lot of political talk. David Ferris will be here. He loves talking politics. Uh, we'll be talking about, uh, oh, you know, he's going to weigh in on the Joe Biden thing as well and talk about the Republicans and their response uh, to uh, the virus and the epidemic and their, their conflicting messages coming from the Republican Party. Uh, so David Ferris has a lot to talk about. Uh, and then we're going to do the same thing we did yesterday. We're going to take a break. Uh, we're going to have uh, Monroe... Right, we're gonna interview Monroe, and we'll drop that. Uh, we say take a break, but we're gonna end the show and then correct. post it up online. Take a break sounds like go to commercial. We're gonna take a three-hour break, and that's a, that's a valid point. <laughs> that's a very valid point. Literally, we will end the show, there but then go. figuratively, I will take a break, and then I'll interview there we Monroe. Go. So you're right. There's literally we will end the show.
Uh, and, then, and then we're going to have another bonus. D's going to really be working overtime today. Mick Dumkey and I will be in a deep dive on Bob Dylan's latest song, Two Geeks, talking Bob Dylan, man. Oh, uh, can, boy. <laughs> that is, Mick Dumkey. <laughs> Okay, by the way, we're going to do a special show. Uh, I don't know if I broke this to you on uh, Tiger King next week. Scotty Duff and I, Scott Duff, the comedian, is obsessed with it. Is He's seen the whole thing. He's got a lot of theories. So we're going to deep dive in that as well, right, D? A lot of good deep dives. A lot, right. a lot of good weekend material, bonus material. But uh, Mick Dumkey and I uh, are uh, absolutely uh, riveted by Bob Dylan's latest. So uh, it's all about the Kennedy assassination, 1963. So anyway, uh, we're doing that interview as well. But before we do any of that... The Doctor, the pride and joy of Alton, with the news. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Name is Dennis. All right. <laughs> live stream chat. What is happening, everybody? Feel free to weigh in with your thoughts. What's going on? If you got any questions for us or whatever, we'll try and answer it. And uh, like we always do about this time, let's talk about what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. Yeah, you all know where Illinois Governor uh, J.B. Pritzker will be at 2.30. That's right, the Thompson Center for his COVID-19 press conference. The governor announced Tuesday, uh, and we talked about this right before the show ended, uh, that Illinois' stay-at-home order has been extended to April 30th. So, yes, Ben Jarofsky Show listeners, that means our gnarly beast of a third co-host, the brown line, <laughs> is here yeah. to stay for a while. Yeah. Get used to it, people. Uh, you know, maybe one day, Ben, I'll open up the window when it comes by and we'll get the full effect, huh? Well, Whoa, that'd be like a bonus. That would be a bonus. And that day is coming because it's pretty soon going to get, it gets really hot in this attic, by the way. <laughs> Just a word of warning. We can't do the podcast here uh, if, with the window uh, open. Well, no, I guess we could. It's way too loud. Uh, yeah, it gets very loud. Or you could close the window. Here comes the train. Close the window. All anyway. right. Now, Ben Jarofsky, you're. No longer a young man. Still try, a young man, try my baby. Best to, try my best to not say you're old. Have you ever <laughs> seen or lived through anything like this in your lifetime? No, absolutely not. And I speak for uh, people of my generation. Nope, absolutely not. This is uh, a new experience. For instance, just what I d described earlier, walking down the street, cr crisscrossing to avoid passing somebody within six feet and just that alone the psychology there uh never anything like it uh, walking through the aisle of a walgreens and suddenly being scared when some you're startled by somebody turning the corner and it happens all the time really the notion of social distancing d it's it's really hard to practice because on some levels when you leave the house because you don't control all the factors how many times like you come down to a i don't know if you've you mostly ride your bike, so you don't have to deal with this. But if you're walking down the sidewalk and you're coming uh, to the end of like where the alley is, yeah. someone could step out of the alley. You can't see them coming. Uh -huh. Normally, it wouldn't be that big a deal, but now it's like, wow, yeah. And that, so that's just one element. And then, of course, the uh, I the pending economic uh, meltdown, which is something catastrophic i mean i've lived through uh, many market crashes like five uh, like four or five recessions and uh, but this this one promises to be um this problem promises to be the big daddy of them all but god i'm so depressed on i gotta go watch tiger hold on I let know. me just watch i know you, you seem like you're freaking out here based on <laughs> but, that intro yeah but anyway so to answer your question no nothing like this ever all right you're going crazy so for the sake of your sanity 
What do you say we pretend like the world isn't going to hell for about 10 minutes? <laughs> okay. Let's go back to the way things used to be. Okay. Let's let our host, Ben Jarofsky, nerd out and let <laughs> loose. And let's talk about obscure political stories <laughs> okay. about the city of Chicago. What do you say, huh? I think that's a great idea. All right. Before we do that, well, let's see if you are, in fact, still the biggest Chicago political dork I've ever <laughs> met in my life thus far. <laughs> Who is the 17th Ward Alderman? David Moore. Come oh, on. Oh, my God. Come on. Why, why, why are you bringing him up? Did he do something in the news I'm I missed? I'm just quizzing you. Oh, okay. And yes, you passed. <laughs> You're still a huge nerd. How did you know? I looked it up online. Uh, I was like, God damn, Dennis. You've been hanging around listening Please to us Please stop cursing. Okay, here's this. I said Galdarn, didn't I? No. no. He said GD. Stop it. <laughs> hey, here's a story that more than likely you and maybe five other people care about at the moment. <laughs> It looks like the final results have come in on one of our Illinois primary elections. Yeah, remember those listeners? The primary elections. Felt like a year ago. Eh, hasn't even been a month ago. Most wow. of the results from March 17th's election have been set in stone. Kim Fox, winner. Bye-bye, Bill the Bro. Thanks for the plug, by the way. Marie Newman, winner. You done, Dino Dan. Thanks for nothing at all. But there are still a few elections out there still undecided, and the following comes from Chiacapos in Illinois Politico. Alderman George Cardenas is close to winning the 12th Ward Committeeman position that's been held by his nemesis, State Senator Tony Munoz. In the near final tally of mail-in votes, Cardenas is leading Munoz 2,795 to 2,774. Wow. Damn, that's close. The primary is required to be wrapped up two weeks after it's held, but some provisional mail-in ballots are still being checked, Cardenas tells Illinois Political Playbook, so he's not quite ready to declare victory. Mm. It's a dramatic ending to a tension-filled race. Cardenas and Munoz have butted heads for years. We have a quote here. It says, We just never saw eye-to-eye. It's hard to pinpoint one exact thing, Cardenas said. Over the years, the two have gone head-to-head and Munoz has tried to run candidates against Cardenas, who's been an alderman since 2003. Let's pause right there. Ben, your thoughts. Well, Card- Cardenas has been the alderman since 2003. That's what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. Munoz is the state senator. Uh, actually, I could do about an hour on this thing. Uh, well, give us about <laughs> 10 minutes. Oh, come on. Let me go an hour. What the <laughs> hell? Pete's talking about the coronavirus. God, it's so depressing. Uh, but, uh, okay, so... Committeemans, first of all, they're running for committee. Now, this is a classic parenthetical, D. This is a classic parenthetical right here. Because I feel compelled, I'm obligated to explain the difference between a committeeman and an alderman. And you say, well, Ben, everybody should know that. You know, just like everybody should know what Tiger King is. But you'd be surprised. More people know what Tiger King is than what the difference is between a committeeman and I'm not surprised (laughs) at all. Yeah, so anyway, a committeeman is a party position. You're a, a party leader, in this case, the Democratic Party, and an alderman is a municipal position. It's a nonpartisan position, and you represent a certain ward. Everybody, you're everybody's alderman, whether you're Democrat or Republican. Okay, so this is a party position. It makes, uh, they, it draws no salary in the age of uh, the Shackman decree, which banned p- political patronage. Uh, there really are no jobs at stake. In the old days, committeemen held on to jobs. So why is it important? Well, it has symbolic importance. So in other words, you have uh, two strong political characters, in this case, Cardenas and Munoz, who are relatively high profile in their little neck of the woods. And it's like an op- it, 
how do you how would I say it? it's sort of like an alley fight you know who's going to be the toughest guy in the block and for the longest time he knows was the toughest guy in the block a good friend of the show Adolfo Mondragon ran against him twice I want to say and uh, lost each time I was there the second time he lost and it was really depressing night because I thought that uh, Mondragon was by far the superior candidate whatever voters don't usually listen to me in the city of Chicago uh, and so anyway so Minos and uh, and uh, Cardenas started out sort of in the same team and at some point hmm, about 10 years ago I'm losing track of time uh, Cardenas realized that he better move to the Bendrovsky side of things become more of an independent and more of a um, progressive because he could see that the demographics were changing, the times were changing, uh, particularly with uh, Ch- uh, Chewy Garcia out being elevated as sort of the, the number one vote getter among uh, Hispanics on the southwest side of Chicago. So he's been moving steadily to the left. He's a progressive now. Uh, he used to be part of the uh, the machine, the regulars. And Minos, of course, has stayed with the machine and the regulars. So it's sort of a battle between progressives and the old guard, the old Michael Madigan, Ed Burke crew. Uh, and I guess, D, it's a sign that um, Burke and Madigan are sort of losing their control uh, in that neck of the woods because if Cardenas is beating Munoz in the race for committeemen, and it's very close, as you said, it's just a, sort of a sign that the what the Chewy crowd is uh, just cleaning up bit by bit, taking over all the different uh, positions on the southwest side I of Chicago. I can tell you're feeling better already, Ben. Oh, man, I could talk more. Let's go more. Well, can I let's talk, talk more? about the 26th Ward. Newcomer Angie Gonzalez-Rodriguez beat out longtime alderman Roberto Maldonado, 4,057 to 3,514. In the 33rd Ward, uh, State Senator Iris Martinez defeated incumbent committeeman Aaron Goldstein. Damn, that's my ward. <laughs> that was your and that's guy. my guy, AG. <laughs> I voted for yeah. the meanest three pointer. Yeah. In all of Albany Park, all right? Good for remembering. Martinez that. also won the clerk of the circuit court position. She faces a Republican for that job in November. In the 40th ward, Maggie O'Keefe beat Alderman Andre Vasquez, 6,200 to 5,514. This puts O'Keefe in a position to challenge Vasquez again for Alderman in three years. As you recall, O'Keefe came in fourth. In the five-way aldermanic race, she wrote, year. "As you recall, yeah, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I think Maggie and uh, Vasquez recall that, but uh, uh, I can't. She finished fourth. I can't remember who finished third. Oh, this- come on, you're supposed to recall that. <laughs> As you recall, oh yeah, I remember it well. Uh, yeah, so these, they, uh, each again, see, that's she's getting at the point of a committeeman's race." So it's it has symbolic importance. So Maggie O'Keefe uh, is alive. Her her sort of her name and her campaign is alive in the 40th ward. So that if she chooses to use this as momentum, a springboard to go against Andre Vasquez uh, for Alderman in what is the next election? D. I have to think about this. 2023. Good God, 2023. Think just thinking about that uh, municipal election in 2023 in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> uh, it's just like. Will that ever come? Will we even be here? Will there even be society? Uh, but anyway, uh, let's assuming let's put let's let's just assume good things and that uh, we will all still be here in 2023. So yeah, symbolic importance. Uh, Maggie O'Keefe was victorious over Andre Vasquez. Andre Vasquez, you remember him? Did he came oh, the yeah. old show? Yeah, uh, he come he was on. A cool from, guy. Yeah, he was a cool guy. He's a rapper, and then they try to use that against him. Do you remember that? Oh my goodness. Good. 
I could get going on this forever and ever. Andre Vasquez made it into the runoff against Patrick O'Connor, who's uh, talk about an old school alderman. He That's was, correct. Thank you, uh, Robert Mueller. Uh, Patrick O'Connor was Mayor Daly's floor leader. He was Mayor Rahm's floor leader. Parentheticals, folks, can't assume anything. They they may know about Tiger King, but I cannot assume they know who Mayor Daly's floor leader is. This is called a parenthetical. All right. So as such, he was the one who shepherded through the city council all the dumbest ideas that a mayor could come up with, including but not limited to selling the parking meters an asset worth about $10 billion for $1 billion. How about that, Chicago? Great mayors you've elected and great aldermen. Uh, anyway, so uh, Andre Vasquez uh, was running against him. He made it to the runoff. Uh, oh, yeah, I guess uh, Pat O'Connor would have been the third person that finished ahead of Maggie O'Keefe. I just figured it out. Uh, in uh, the 2019 automatic election, so it was Vasquez versus O'Connor. And what O'Connor did was... He went back into Vasquez's career as a rapper and took out all these um, nasty lyrics. That, that You think I... Dennis gets down on me for saying GD and SH asterisk T? Man, Andre Vasquez wouldn't last a day as a rapper with Dennis around. I mean, he had all these... <laughs> hey, watch it. <laughs> hey, clean up that act, uh, Vasquez. Anyway, when Vasquez was uh, a rapper. For 10 trivia points, D, who was Vasquez friends with that connected us uh, on our old show? Oh, that'd be one Dr. Dog, Damien Perdue. The great Damien Perdue, uh, one of the great guys of all time. Hope you're listening, Damien. Anyway, uh, so, so uh, O'Connor sent out a flyer with Vasquez, quoting Vasquez. <laughs> It kind of had the the a boomerang effect, eh? because people thought it was O'Connor saying the words. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, this is terrible. This is disgraceful. Anyway, Vasquez got the was last laugh in that election. He was victorious, but apparently he hasn't solidified his control of the ward because Maggie O'Keefe defeated him for commitment. So that means, uh, as uh, Politico uh, put it. There could be a rematch in uh, 2023 if the world still exists. Ah, there's the big dork I've grown to love. <laughs> He's back, guys. Wait, can I do the 33rd word, too? I mean, I can go on go and on about it. that one. Go well, Aaron it. Goldstein, uh, you know, we, I like, I'm with Dennis. I like Aaron Goldstein a lot. He ran for attorney general. There were like eight people in that race. And uh, each that was the, tw the 2018 uh, attorney general primary to replace Lisa Madigan. Here comes the brown line. Uh, and uh, there were, I think I interviewed almost everybody that was running, uh, about s at least six of them, and they were all good. Remember that, D? They were just yeah. like smart people. They, um, they had policy positions and all the issues of the day. They could handle questions off the cuff. You know what I mean? It's like a lot of candidates, they come in and their handlers will go, okay, what are you going to ask them? You know, like, you know. They're a little wary about the fact they leave. don't ask him. Like, don't ask that question. You know, he's not ready for that. Uh, but uh, we just had wide ranging conversations with uh, all of them. And uh, I was really impressed with Aaron Goldstein. Uh, he's a trial lawyer in Chicago. And he, he had thought through thoughtful answers to um, uh, all the issues of the day. And he uh, was running for attorney general. He was using that a springboard, his victory over Richard Mell. Uh, for Democratic commitment, he defeated Richard Mell, and Richard Mell got the last laugh uh, in this in this recent uh, commitments race. He Richard Mell had endorsed Iris Martinez. Did you see the letter that Richard Mell sent out? I don't know if you, did Aaron uh, Aaron sent it to me. Uh, Richard Mell, I can go on and on, but Richard Mell, a powerhouse in Democratic politics. I spent most of the '80s 
uh, writing critical articles about him, and he spent most of the '80s and the '90s bad mouthing me. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but we, we kind of became frenemies in the uh, the last ten years. That and hippie. It, <laughs> he came out to the hideout show, our first hideout. <laughs> But that's exactly how he viewed me. This freaking hippie from the hippie newspaper. He's up to no good. Don't take his phone calls. Uh, And uh, he kind of softened and mellowed on me over the years. But um, uh, yeah, so Aaron Goldstein beat Richard Mell. And then so Mell uh, got his revenge by supporting Iris Martinez and sent out this letter that essentially depicted Aaron Goldstein as this radical leftist. It's kind of what... The Biden bros uh, did uh, to Bernie, you know, this radical leftist who's out of touch uh, with your values, your democratic values. Uh, and uh, actually, it, it kind of reminds me of what the Republicans are going to do to Biden as well. That's so funny, D. We're going to be talking about this with David Ferris. All you Biden lovers out there were bashing Bernie for being too lefty. <laughs> right now, I'm getting every day, I get more emails and texts from the uh, Tea Party Mitch McConnell, Newt Gingrich, bashing Joe Biden as being a leftist. They just took Bernie's, everything you said about Bernie Sanders, Biden bros, they took that and uh, replaced it with uh, stuff they're saying uh, about Biden. So uh, anyway, so Richard Mell used that tactic against AG and uh, Iris Martinez was victorious. All right, let's talk more about J.B. Pritzker here. It says Governor J.B. Pritzker was on national TV yesterday calling for the federal government to send equipment that Illinois has requested. He slammed President Trump for not making greater use of the Defense Production Act via interview with CNN's Chris Cuomo. Chris Cuomo, by the way, uh, announced that he has... The coronavirus, right? Yeah, he did. I saw that. Sure doesn't look like it. He's at work talking to JP. What's up with that, huh? Well, I mean, you know, the symptoms vary from person to person. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Aren't you happy that he's okay? Yeah, but I mean, (laughs) uh, you know, quit working. He's doing it from the basement of his house. Like we're in our the attic. He's in the basement. But he doesn't have to worry about a train going by. I bet he doesn't have to watch kids smoking reefer in the alley. I bet he doesn't have to worry about what getting too hot in here. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm wishing not, him nothing but the best. Pritzker is among governors pleading for medical equipment from federal stockpile plagued by shortages and confusion. Anything you'd like to say about J.B. Pritzker? Man? Yeah, I, I really come to admire J.B. Pritzker. Uh, everybody knows this. I'm really appreciating him tremendously. Uh, in this, well, first of all, I was appreciating him uh, the way he was running the state leading into the pandemic. And this is sort of the difference between J.B. Pritzker and, let's say, Andrew Cuomo. When I look at how Andrew Cuomo governed New York, and I'm looking at it from afar, let me just repeat that. Here I am in my attic in Chicago, so I don't live in New York, but I, I follow New York politics. And uh, he was kind of remind me of Rom. You know, he had that arrogance that Rom did, that I'm smart, you're not attitude that Rom had. And he was always going toward the middle and he seemed to really enjoy inflaming, you know, the, the lefty unions and uh, sort of their equivalent of uh, uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa types, you know, the people that come on my show all the time, Stacey Davis Gates types, you know, he'd love to sort of get, if they were irritated, he felt he was doing a, a good job. But since the pandemic hit, I've really been impressed by the way he's handled himself and I've taken to watching his news briefings and I've sort of put aside my disagreements with him in the past. Like, for instance, the Amazon issue. I talked about that yesterday. He was a big cheerleader for giving billions to Amazon. I've looked, I've moved away from that because this is such a crisis, D. That's sort of like, you know, 
lot of the old rules that we are bi- abiding by, the old norms, are out the window. And I feel that he's done an excellent job, uh, Andrew Cuomo. With Pritzker, I too feel he's done an excellent job. But I like where he was doing as governor before the pandemic hit in terms of like pro- uh, promoting the fair tax, uh, raising the minimum wage, and um, standing up for women's right to choose, uh, legalizing reefer. Good God. Remember that? How could we forget? That was such a huge news story. Now everybody's <laughs> getting high. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, I'm really impressed with Pritzker. There's, there's an, the man generates a certain amount of empathy for people. Um, whether it's real or not, I don't know, but it, it, it comes out of him. And uh, when those briefings, which are usually right after our show, so I get to hear the tail end of them, D, um, I, I, just, I just feel as though he kind of relates to everybody and what they're doing, even though he's a billionaire. You know what I mean? That's the irony. Um, you would think he would be distant from ordinary human beings like you and me, uh, <laughs> dead broke uh, podcasters. But uh, he shows a tremendous amount of empathy. So big fan of J.B. Pritzker, D. Big fan of him indeed. All right, everybody. And also, too, you mentioned Andrew Cuomo. There's pictures going around. I'm just wondering, uh, nipple ring gate. Does Andrew Cuomo have nipple rings? That's what's going around. They're showing the picture of Andrew Cuomo talking, and you can <laughs> see through his shirt. How did look I miss like that? that? Let's get it going on the live stream chat. Does Andrew Cuomo <laughs> have nipple rings? What do you think, Ben? I, I haven't seen it. Now, here, that's classic. Okay. I've been watching uh, Tiger King so much that I missed that one. So I do not know if he has nipple rings. A very important question should be answered before the show is done. If you're listening and you haven't seen it, go take a look at the picture, and uh, we'll talk about it. Maybe at the end of the week we'll uh, we'll have a conclusion. Let's see if David Ferris has an opinion about that. Oh, there we go. All right, and finally, we have three finalists chosen. Once again, this is uh, city news that's very obscure, especially nowadays, but Ben loves talking about it. Three finalists have been chosen for Chicago Police Department Superintendent. The next top cop will be either Aurora Police Chief uh, Kristen Zeman or Zyman, retired Dallas Police Chief David Brown, or the Chicago Police Department's fast-rising Deputy Chief Ernest Cato. If these were normal times, and if we weren't in the middle of a life-threatening pandemic, uh, this would be a huge story, D. This would be something that probably we would get a week's worth of material out of, because the decision the mayor makes over who's the police chief is one of those, again, symbolic moves that uh, shows how much power the mayor has. And uh, so the, the, the setup we have for determining who the police chief is just lends itself to sort of this drama. There's this buildup where there's uh, three people are nominated or they're put on a short list and then the mayor evaluates them all and then the media goes out and there's the, the papers will do profiles of each of them. So, you know, like there's the, the Aurora police chief, uh, Christian Zeman. Uh, they would go out to Aurora and interview people in Aurora and they would talk to community activists in Aurora and they'd look for dirt on her that they could throw in a bit. Well, she's really good here, 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 but then there's this issue, blah, 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 blah. And so they would do that for all of the candidates so by the time they were done with it you know you'd feel like you 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 knew them it was almost um like a a, a american idol or something now you're getting ready to pick your favorite and then the mayor in this case she would pick her favorite and that's her favorite so this is the situation we have it's sort of a ritual in the city of chicago goes back i can remember a mayor daily putting us through this back in the late 90s early o's uh and 
the, the Rom threw it out the window, if you recall, when it came to uh, Eddie Johnson because he he was given a list of three. I think it's a police board that given you the list of three nominees, and he just said, "Ah, the heck with that!" Threw him out the window and just picked Eddie Johnson, who wasn't even on the list, hadn't even applied. See, that's that's Rom. If there's a rule, I'll break it. I can do it because I'm smart and you're not. And <laughs> and then of course Eddie Johnson, uh, he got. Uh, thrown under the bus by Lori Lightfoot uh, when allegedly he lied to her about drinking in a bar with a woman who wasn't his wife. Think of the things we were preoccupied with. How long did we have fun with Johnson Gate? I mean, it wasn't any fun to Eddie Johnson, but we must have talked about Johnson Gate for a week, right, D? Oh, yeah. Johnson Gate, Smollett Gate, ah, the good old days before the <laughs> pandemic. Eddie, I, I to this day feel that Eddie Johnson uh, got the raw end of the deal. I just saw this in the... Um, there was a, a, a Tribune, a column in the Tribune oh, today. Oh, that's Mayor Rahm on the brown line. Take a chill pill, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mayor Rahm driving that brown line, writing essays, writing books. He's a busy guy. Uh, anyway, so there was an essay in today's uh, Tribune about extolling the virtues of Lori Lightfoot, saying she's tough. People Chicagoans love tough mayors. God, do they love tough mayors. Saying how t- tough she is and using as an example, D, uh, how she fired Eddie Johnson for uh, allegedly lying to her. And I'm like, you know, I still think Eddie Johnson got the raw end of that deal because, you know, he, he uh, came in at a time when the Chicago really needed uh, some credibility uh, with the police department. And I think he helped Rahm and Lori Lightfoot in that uh, way. Anyway, so, yeah, we'd be talking a lot about this. Uh, but, of course, under the pandemic, it's a page four story uh, in the Sun-Times. And I don't even know if it's, uh, though the Tribune did have it as like page eight or something. All right, let's go to everyone in the live stream chat. We do have a story about mail-in balloting. We're going to talk about that in minutes here, but let's go to our friends in the live stream chat. Uh, let's see here. Oh, Brianna is weighing in on uh, nipple ring gate. <laughs> Brianna says, oh, maybe Como just has like uh, four nipples. You got to see this picture, Ben. All right, let me look at the picture. Yeah, you got a phone. You can look it up. You're oh, looking yeah. around. You have a phone. Oh, yeah, that's right. All right. Put it in there. All right, hold on. Calm down. Let All me right, get rid let's of the see thing here. that's there. Oh, Ben, it looks like uh, we got oh, we got a we got a new friend here on the Ben Jarofsky Show live stream chat. He says this guy should STFU, which is foul language, and stop <laughs> shilling. This guy thinks you're shilling for uh, Andrew Cuomo, Ben. He says, how much are they paying you to spread misinformation? Wow. That's, that, that's, oh, wait, hold on. I'm looking at the, I will deal with that. Oh, hold on one second. Let me just look at this. Um, I'll pull up Cuomo. Yeah, that must Man. be a Trump supporter. All right, hold on. I'm looking at Andrew Cuomo. Hold on. I'll deal with that guy in a little bit. Hold okay, on. we're not Andrew Cuomo. Show. Hold on, Andrew. Well, you were the one who said, all right, <laughs> images. Uh, here we go. Andrew Cuomo nipple. Let's see what comes up. All right, this is called high-class texting, except I misspelled nipple. Uh, da, da, da. Here we go, D. All right, nipple piercing. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is a big deal. Kyle weighed in. He says, when the brown line passes, I am imagining Ben pumping his fist up and down, similar to passing an 18-wheeler to get them to honk their horns. Yeah, no, I am doing that. I don't, I don't think he has uh, nipple rings, either that or it's a bad image. Um, all right, getting back to the, old, uh, the, the guy that weighed in and said that I was too nice on Cuomo. I spent the introduction. <laughs> D, I can't even get the words out. I'm having a Kenny Davis moment. The introduction. To my comments about how Andrew Cuomo is dealing with the crisis, talked about all my political differences with the guy, but how I appreciated I was handling the crisis. How is that being too easy on him? What do you, what do you want me to say? I don't know. I mean, New York is under siege. 
New York is... Oh, by the way, that guy's name's Roddy. Roddy? Yeah. Okay. Hot Rod. Roddy Reagan. Uh, Roddy, I love Trump. It, it's like New York's under siege. Andrew Cuomo comes in every day and gives a briefing where he lays out just the terms of the crisis, uh, pleads for his state, tries to navigate the choppy waters of dealing with Donald Trump. Roddy, I know you're a huge fan of Trump probably, but the reality is that Donald Trump is a very mean-spirited guy. And if you don't kiss his ring, he'll deny your state the aid it needs. That's how, they all, that's how the governors are playing this game. He turned against the governor of Michigan because she was critical of him. For a while, he was down on Pritzker. Then Pritzker started buttering him up. Then so Trump says, makes nice phone calls to him. Then they send masks. Turns out they're the wrong masks. Okay. So he's going to screw that up anyway. But the reality is that this is just what Cuomo has to deal with on a daily basis. On top of that, his his brother has coronavirus. So, he, you know, there's... They ask him questions about every conceivable element of the uh, the crisis. So, for instance, when the Republicans are going around saying, hey, maybe it's good that uh, the old people die. You know, it's okay. It's just, it's only a disease that affects old people. We'd rather have old people die if, than have an economy go into a depression. Cuomo's asked about that, and he, he talked about his mother being 88. He goes, I don't think my, my mother's expendable. So... He's on the front lines on a daily basis, and I respect the job he's done. I respect the job that Pritzker's done. I would have more respect for Donald Trump if he wasn't a freaking lunatic uh, giving out mis- giving out one piece of information today that contradicts the piece of information he gave out the next day, sending out tweets constantly attacking Democrats. By the way, I recommend Democrats do the same to him. That's the only way you're going to beat the guy. So listen. The reason I respect Cuomo is the way he's handling the crisis now. I, I think even um, Republicans in the state of Illinois would agree with me, maybe not Roddy, uh, that he's done a good job. But, uh, yeah, I had my political different disagreements with Cuomo. Uh, I was for Cynthia Nixon. She ran against him in the primary the last time, a working families candidate. But that was then. This is now. It's a new time, D. Uh, so, uh, you know, I got to give credit to Andrew Cuomo for doing a great job in a crisis. So there you are, Roddy. We answered your question there. All right, uh, Kyle, good friend Kyle weighed in. What's going on, Kyle? We asked how everybody was doing. Kyle says, how am I doing? Well, every day, self-isolation, I'm turning into a different Nicolas Cage character. <laughs> Vampire Kiss Nick Cage. Wicker Man Nick Cage. What are that? Mandy Nick Cage. Raising Arizona Nick Cage. Face Off Nick Cage. I've seen like half of those. I think I've seen all... Maybe seen all those movies. I can't remember. I definitely remember. What was the one, uh, the first one he said? Uh, he said, uh, wait a minute. It was what? about an ambulance. Vampire's Kiss. Van- Vampire's Kiss. I think, I can't remember. Was that the one where he's the ambulance driver? I don't think so. Oh, man, that was intense movie. Was Why would a movie about an ambulance driver Because it was like at night. Kiss. Yeah, I know, but it was at night, <laughs> and, there, and it was... Um, Every, it, it was like everybody was diseased and drugged out. Uh, but uh, yeah, Nick Cage, I can, I can dig that. I can understand why you feel that way. I was just talking to our good friend Monroe Anderson. We're going to do the uh, uh, interview with him in about an hour or so. And uh, he was saying he hasn't gotten out in 16 days. I was like, come on, Monroe. You, you got to go at least step into your yard and get some fresh air every now and then. Can't just sit inside. By the way, later tonight, be on the lookout for that. We're going to talk with Monroe Anderson and drop it a little later. Mm -hmm. Uh, Michael weighed in. He said, just tuned in. Sounds like Ben is answering questions from Russian bots. (laughs) 
That is so true. Excellent. Yeah, Roddy's a Russian. I said he was a Trump supporter. He's a Putin bot. Good one. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they're already they're already undercutting Cuomo. Brianna says, Tiger uh, King, what a hot mess. Uh, yeah, it is. I wonder, has she watched it? Does she say her? Has she been seeing it? Well, I mean, yeah, I'm sure she's seen it. She's yeah. at home doing nothing, got Netflix. You know what I mean? <laughs> By the way, I'm more of a, the movie. You ever seen the movie Knowing with Nick Cage? No, I don't think uh, that, so. I'm turning into knowing Nick Cage. Who what what happens in knowing? Oh, he's like real big into like conspiracies. Like, oh, if you connect the dots, this and that. Oh, gee. <laughs> I'm turning into that guy. I, I, I'm writing that down. That actually sounds like a good movie. Uh, <laughs> I'm a, I, I'm Raising okay. Arizona. Have you ever seen Raising Arizona? Oh, hell yeah. John Goodman? Uh, Cone Brother movie. I think it was the first one they ever made from the late 80s. Yeah, yeah. That's an awesome movie. Wait, John Goodman's in Raising Arizona? Yeah, a young John Goodman. I don't remember that. Big curly hair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just picture him holding uh, a bunch of toilet paper running down the street. Nick Cage. That's what I think of on Raising Arizona. Arizona. All right. Let's talk some uh, mail-in balloting news here. Governor J.B. Pritzker said on Tuesday that he supports the idea of mail-in ballots for elections. Pritzker said, quote, I've been an advocate for mail-in ballots for a long time. He said this during his daily briefing about COVID-19. He continues saying, I don't think we're going to have to look at for the general election, the idea that we may have to move to a significant amount or all mail-in ballots, or at least give people the opportunity to do that. It's something we're going to look at. He said that the General Assembly would ultimately need to make a decision on that idea. Ben Jarofsky, your thoughts here, mail-in balloting. Yeah, we have to head there. Absolutely. I mean, uh, Washington, the state of Washington is way ahead of the game on that. And uh, I'm not sure as Oregon is uh, ahead of the game as well. But yeah, we have to head there. Uh, And, you know, uh, I was having this conversation with Maya just yesterday, the mail-ins that are coming in, I Already more and more people obviously did it uh, in this election because of the coronavirus uh, fear. And I think the the number of the percentage of voters in Chicago, the turnout is up to 35%. I make fun of that 35% is, is terrible. But considering that it was like in the 20s in uh, 2012, it's quite an improvement. And in 2012, the argument, uh, that was when Barack Obama was running for re-election uh, in, in the primary. The argument was it was a nice day. So people you know, didn't vote because it was such a nice day. They had other things to do. So in this case, of course, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So people don't vote because uh, it's a nasty day. As I pointed out, uh, there's always an excuse for Chicagoans not to to vote. But 35% is almost respectable, D. I mean, that's 35% was what the turnout, I think, was for the mayor's race. And we weren't in a pandemic there. So uh, to get 35% is, is almost respectable considering how scared everybody was. I mean, you talk, we've talked about this, the mixed messages that were going out uh, from our leaders. We are, we're all praising Lori Lightfoot and uh, Governor Pritzker, but they were sending out mixed messages at that stage. Go vote, you know, have an election. But by the way, sick, stay six feet apart. Don't go to restaurants. Don't go to bars. Uh, mixed messages, and that's part of the problem with this entire uh, pandemic. So, yeah, I definitely think we have to uh, start doing um, mail-ins. And uh, we, I, we could bring get Jacob Kaplan on to talk about that, uh, the procedure, the protocol, how you can defend against fraud. Uh, and, by the way, this will be a huge issue coming up uh, for the November I mean, can we get, can we get some smart people together to, uh, since we got nothing going on, to just figure out online voting once and for all? Just knock it out of the park here, you know? Yeah, well, I, it's silly. It's, yeah. The year is two zero two zero. Yeah, yeah. I, I get, bank online. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, you love Venmo. Everybody Venmos. You know what I mean. <laughs> if I could trust my money online, let's figure out a way to just do online voting. Yeah, let's get the smart that would really people just working. nip all of this at the bud. 
Yeah. Then, the, of course, the fear is that uh, the Russians. Oh, because uh, they're just crash. not doing it now, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But your point, you make a good point. There should be some smart people in the world that figure this out. You're absolutely correct. Uh, but we're going to definitely move away, I believe, from the, the old school where there's an election day. You go to polling places. Uh, it's it's very cumbersome. It's very expensive. Uh, and when they when you have a pandemic, which uh, may be around for a while, uh, it definitely could be an issue in November. Uh, it's scary and frightening. So, yeah, I think uh, the sooner the better the state of Illinois can look into this would be good for all. It's just silly to me. Let's figure it out. Let's vote online, everybody. Just get it over with. Uh, we have a Nick Cage update. Shout out to Kyle. Uh, Kyle says the Nick Cage uh, ambulance driver movie is the Scorsese movie bringing out the dead. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. He was yeah. Vampire's Kiss. Uh, oh no, I see. Yeah, that was the one I saw. Very good. Who who knew that? Kyle. Kyle, thank you very much. Uh, that was a that was Scorsese. That was like a weird Scorsese movie that I got into way too much. A really freaky movie. And it kind of reminds me of what's going on today because it was late at night and he was carrying all these disease sick people around. And he It just felt like he didn't get enough sleep. You know, he looked like he himself was diseased and about to die and fall over any moment. Uh, so that's why I thought of like a vampire type flick, but obviously it was a different movie. Oh, and finally, uh, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, no public events scheduled. Obviously, she's staying home and saving lives. <laughs> oh, Lori. Time running second, two out, Palmero. Tell you what, if my White Sox win, you got to stay home. Uribe charges throws. And the White Sox have won the World Series. <laughs> My White Sox. Uh, Lori, you're from Ohio. You're an Indians fan. Don't pretend you're a White Sox fan. No, no. She's a huge Bear fan. Like a legitimate Bears fan. Uh, and uh, I remember when we had, remember we had her in the interview, uh, and she was like, handling bears questions like she knew her bears stuff really well so uh, maybe she is a legitimate white sox fan she's getting a lot of love these days there's a column in the tribune today d man i've never seen so much love really yeah the tribune the tribunal uh, weighed in on uh, Lori's behalf and uh, when i read the column i was like man this person really loves Lori. but it gets at uh, the heart of what i was saying people in chicago love a tough mayor yeah, you know, they love Daly. Even when he would erupt and say something nasty and stupid, like when he uh, he threatened my dear friend McDumkey to stick a gun up McDumkey's butt, uh, he actually did that. Uh, people, oh, yeah, he just, he's emotional. He, he cares about what he believes in. People in Chicago love their mayors to be tough, and Lori Lightfoot was tough. And they, they apparently loved it when she uh, went on that, uh, that you know, she got really mad at everybody. What was that, last Thursday? And she brought out the pictures to prove her point. So, yeah, Lori Lightfoot, um, she's pretty popular in the city now. What does Roddy say about her? <laughs> Roddy going to weigh in? Is Putin's bots weighing in? Where are you at, Roddy? Come weigh on, in. weigh in on Lori Lightfoot. You got so much to say about Cuomo. All right, well, as we wait for Roddy's response, we're going to go ahead and take a break here. Weigh in with your thoughts on the live stream chat. David Ferris is going to be coming up. Uh, we got a while till David Ferris. I don't I know. A couple items before that, so we're good. All right, hang tight, everybody. We'll be right back. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. 
arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from Ben's Attic. <laughs> uh, great article in today's Sun-Times that I wanted to share with people. And Dennis was talking about how the need, uh, I'm feeling the need, <clears throat> excuse me, to have normal news uh, in the middle of the pandemic. Normal news, the, the, the kind that we used to discuss all the time on the show and not feel guilty about it. You know, like we should be discussing uh, the, the end of civilization as we know it. Instead, let's focus on who's going to be the next police chief of the city of Chicago. So this story under the category of normal news uh, was on page 15 of the Sun-Times, and the headline is Corruption Reform on Ice as Virus Stymies Commission. <laughs> All right, here we go. So uh, <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh. You know, it mentions the virus, but uh, this is pretty, uh, this is only an Illinois story. Corruption busting is the latest casualty of the coronavirus in Illinois. Illinois House Majority Leader Greg Harris and State Senator L.G. Sims, both from Chicago, chairman of the Joint Commission on Ethics and Lobbying Reform, said Tuesday that the pandemic has forced them to miss a deadline in their efforts. The commission was required to release a report by Tuesday with recommendations on how to end entrenched corruption in Illinois. But as the COVID-19 crisis has temporarily shut down sessions of the General Assembly, it has also stymied the work of the commission. Quote, we have completed our meetings, heard from stakeholders, and are working through the proposals that have been put before us, the two Chicago Democrats said in a joint statement. However, due to the uncircling crisis, more time will be necessary to complete our work. Uh, this, uh, this commission was established by the legislature in November, and it's tasked with proposing ways to reform state government in the wake of scandals that have rocked state, county, and municipal governments. Harris and Sims said they had hoped to pass ethics reform legislation in the spring legislative section, which is scheduled to adjourn May 31st. But, law, but because lawmakers have not met since March 5th, and the governor uh, extended the state stay-at-home order until April 30th, they could become increasingly difficult. I had a lot of fun with this back in the days before the pandemic, D, because I just thought it was funny that they needed a, a special commission uh, to come up with new laws to tell us what we already knew, which is that bribery is illegal. So, you know, most of the corruption that has occurred over, what, the last year or so dealt with uh, either legislators either taking bribes or giving bribes uh, to get various bills passed. And they knew it was illegal when they were doing it. You know, that's why that's why the only way to catch them was to like have people wearing wires to, entra you know, to entrap them, essentially, you know, get them to admit that they're doing something that they all know is illegal. And they speak in code like, you know, well, we've he's got to come up with the, the cookies I need to feed my family or whatever kind of code they talk in because it's illegal. They knew it was illegal when they were doing it. You don't need a special commission. You don't need laws, new laws. That's, but that's how it is in Illinois and Chicago. It's like every year there's more corruption. Every year there's more scandals. The papers filled with stories about it, usually involving my beloved Democrats uh, who just cannot seem to walk that straight line, that – that, that just like the, the whole culture of corruption is so embedded in the mindset of Chicagoans 
and uh, our politicians, like the money they get isn't enough. They need more money. They're dealing with wealthy people all the time and they want to be big shots like the lobbyists that they're dealing with. So they, yeah, they got a, a little extra cash. Or maybe they have a gambling problem. So many of them I noticed, like William Beavers, the uh, former Cook County Board Commissioner, the former alderman of the 7th Ward. He had a gambling problem. A lot of these people have a gambling problem. Um, the, uh, the, the head. No one to hold them and no one to fold them, Beavers. Yeah. <laughs> and stay away from the, the casinos. Uh, Barbara Bird Bennett, who went down, was the. Uh, the superintendent of Chicago Public Schools, she got caught up in a corruption scandal. And remember her, her the email that she sent to her cronies in that deal was like, well, she's got uh, tuitions to pay, grandkids' college tuitions to pay, and casinos to visit. So apparently she had a gambling problem too. Anyway, they all know it's illegal. They all know it's wrong. So if you just create more rules, there'll just be more rules to be broken uh, because they're going to break them. The issue is whether you're going to enforce the laws that already exist. So I got a kick out of it. Uh, when they set up that commission in the first place uh, to come up with a reform for something that they already knew was wrong and that they shouldn't uh, be doing at all, they came up with that. You know, just to show everybody, well, we're really taking this seriously. We're very concerned about this uh, practice. We're, it's been going on forever in the state of Illinois uh, that uh, the, I think the number of aldermen in Chicago, I think it's like 30 of them, have uh, gone to jail since like the 1970s, uh, various corruption schemes. So they all know it's illegal to begin with. They do it because they want to get away with it because they're addicted to a fast life because they're looking for a fast buck but they're going to have a commission and now the commission d their 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 work is put on hold because of the coronavirus it's like well of all the excuses that i've heard you know "Ah, the dog ate my homework Ah, the coronavirus we can't come out with the commission report so uh no report yet i thought this i had a chuckle i go all right well i'll have to wait a little while a little wait a little longer to see what they come up with what recommendations recommendations they come up i know there's probably specific rules you could write that like extend the amount of time that a legislator has to wait before he or she can become a lobbyist and lobbyist colleagues. Uh, you know, maybe you have to specify certain rules of behavior. But let's face it, folks, most of the real bad stuff that they're going to jail for, they know it's illegal. You don't need a new law for it. But anyway, so they had to put that on hold. So I thought that was a pretty funny uh, story, D. And then... This one as well. Did you see uh, Dear Abby today, D? By any chance? No. I was singing it. Uh, you know, I, I missed it just today. You know, I usually catch it every every day. <laughs> Not today. Dear Abby fan. Shucks. That's why I was singing John Prine. The great John <laughs> Prine has a song called Dear Abby, which uh, Dennis knew. Anyway, Dear Abby, uh, this is my attempt to find some normal in, uh, in, a, in the age of the pandemic. So, uh, Dear Abby... Uh, has her April Fool's Day uh, letters. And these are letters that people try to sneak by her to show uh, that, uh, you know, see if they can get some really weird, obscure uh, complaint through and that she will uh, deal with it uh, legitimately. Like, so here are some of them. Um, this one here, Dear Abby, for more than 50 years, my wife has had a close relation with a stuffed panda bear she received when she was eight. His name is Daffy and he sits by our fireplace and pretty much rules the house. She makes him talk and takes him places. When I make a mistake, like not hanging off my jacket, I said that Daffy told me not to do it. She gets mad and I get a lecture from Daffy about how he isn't to blame and he never makes a mistake. I am joking when I blame Daffy, but my wife and Daffy don't find it funny. Am I wrong to make a joke or should I not blame Daffy? From, and this is from Panda, and she writes, Dear Panda, it appears that you are not one, but three Daffys in your household. If you can't bear what's going on, stop joking. In other words, she saw through it. But this is the one I'll close with. When I 
Dear Abby, when I put my hand on my wife's knee at the dinner table last night, she blurted out the name of another man. What do you make of this? Curious in California. Dear Curious, unless the name she blurted was Alfredo and you're eating pasta, I suspect you may have a problem. Happy April Fool's Day, everyone. Just my attempt, folks, to find a little normal in the pandemic. We're going to take a break and we're going to bring David Ferris on right after this. It is Wednesday, April 1st, and live from Ben's house, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour, one man and one man only, professor, author, and dear friend of the Ben Jarofsky Show, Mr. David Ferris. And now your host. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. David Ferris, a regular on our show, Roosevelt University political science professor, views the world much as I do and when it comes to Democrats, uh, should behave more like, like Republicans if they expect to win. So many Democrats are so naive. Uh, but we'll hold off the discussion, David, of Joe Biden's campaign for a moment. How are you doing in, this, uh, in the midst of the virus? You're staying at home, of course. How, how are you hanging in there? Now, I'm at a beach in Daytona. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say you're yeah, in ch I'm church in Tampa. That's right. No, I'm yeah, I'm home. You know, I've got a I've got a one year old here, so it's uh, it's kind of an all hands on deck situation. Uh, my wife and I are dividing, caring for him, with trying to do our jobs, and um, you know, I don't know. I was very, it wasn't great the first week, but then I kind of accepted my new life as an indentured servant to a toddler. And uh, I, I can understand how Stockholm syndrome works now. You know, it's like, you're just like, okay. Are you, are you, are you obsessively following the news? Are you one of those kinds of people that when you're locked in your house, you just have, uh, you know, the TV on all the time, listening to all the updates? You know, I mostly just, I, I mostly have Twitter sort of plugged into a vein, um, and and I you know I read I read updates about the disease and what's happening with our sclerotic government and response to it, and um, but you know you got to tune it out for at least a few hours a day. Yeah. You know you're going to go so, um, and it's you know new features of life are like you know I call my parents now every single day <laughs> on on FaceTime so because they're you know in their seventies and they're lonely and. Um, so it's, uh, trying to stay in touch with as many people as you can. And it, that takes up a significant part of the day. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the issues of the day. Uh, the, when I talked to you earlier today, you said one of the top things in your mind are how, uh, right wing pundits are suddenly turning into scientists and it's very bizarre messaging, uh, that's coming from Republicans these days, David, on one hand. They want to uh, praise Trump at every chance they can, uh, which means criticizing Democrats. And so to do that, they find themselves in a p position, and these are the, even some of the more quote-unquote respectable Republicans, find themselves in a position, what, where they have to say we're exaggerating the virus. Right. Talk about this a little bit. Yeah, it's been such whiplash, you know, because the president goes back and forth between you know, one day it's uh, 200,000 deaths are a best case scenario. We're going to lock the country down for a month. 
and the next day, you know, we're going to be open for Easter. Um, he's, I think he's deeply vulnerable to the last person that he talks to and people send him these articles, um, by these, by these right wingers, um, who, who don't know what they're talking about, you know? So I don't know if you read, but apparently this, um, this New York Times op-ed by Richard Epstein, who's a, a law professor, um, was, was very influential inside the Trump administration. And, you know, he had said, uh, we won't have any more than 500 deaths. And, uh, you know, the whole thing's just a massive overreaction. He had his own, uh, I'm not sure I really, really understand the argument, but some sort of social uh, evolutionary theory of, of viruses. This is a law professor, right? Like, he doesn't <laughs> know anything about viruses. Yeah. Um, and, the, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy because it's really irresponsible for the New York Times to publish stuff like this. Um, and it's also just um, sort of mind-blowing that people would listen to a law professor. I don't know if you saw this piece yesterday or the day before by, by Bill Bennett. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Um, and it was, uh, you know, headlined on Real Clear Politics and, um, you know, time for a second opinion about about the virus, you know, and they they cherry-pick sort of random pieces of data from, from different countries or different places to make the argument that the the death rate is so low that, you know, we should be fine going back to normal after 14 days. Um, and it's just, there's been a lot of stuff like this going around. Uh, I remember this Medium post for, from about 10 days ago, just some like random Silicon Valley tech bro who like, you know, put together his own graphs and stuff. <laughs> and, and was, uh, you know, so the theme is that we're overreacting. Right? Yeah. And um, I think that what's going, I think a couple of things are going on here. You know, one is just, um, it's just denialism. It's just like a long-standing sort of conservative skepticism of science in general, expertise in general, um, mistrust of like expert systems where um, you kind of have to take people's word for it because you don't really understand the underlying parameters of what, you know, the conclusions that they're drawing. Um, and so that that is applied to all kinds of things. It's why there's more anti-vaxxers and Republican side. Uh, it's why there's so much climate skepticism because they just don't, you know, I guess they just don't trust, you know, scientific modeling unless it's done by a, you know, washed out, uh, drug addicted, former family, family values guy. <laughs> so Bill Bennett. Um, but the other thing I think is like, uh, it, it just really seems to me like the Republicans are trying to hedge their bets in terms of the way that this is going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you, you can, you can now haul out enough, enough quotes from Trump where he seems to be taking it seriously that if things go really wrong, he can say, listen to me from mid-March, we're in World War II footing, we're mobilized, you know, this is this is a common enemy. You know, the few times where he sounded, you know, as close to presidential as this guy can possibly get. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you juxtapose that with, you know, kind of continued statements about how it's not that serious or you know, Jared Kushner running like a, a parallel operation to fight the virus alongside and Who's Mike Pence? Uh, we're all talking. Where's Joe Biden? Like, where's Mike Pence? And um, so it's 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 like if it doesn't turn out to be that bad, um, they can also come back and haul out a bunch of statements where where they express their own skepticism about the worst case models of the disease and things like that. So um, it's as much as anything. It's just it just feels like politics is being played. Um, and of course, you want your public officials to to ask difficult questions when they're, when they're, there's a public health official telling them to do something, you don't, you know, you don't want to, you, you don't want them to just say yes to anything. Right. But, 
um, the degree to which decisions are being placed in the hands of people who don't understand um, the, the, the sort of underlying dynamics of, of you know, transmissible diseases is really, is really disturbing. Yeah. Um, and it led to a bunch of red states that still haven't done what they need to do to put a, a stop to the trajectory of the growth. Um, I see uh, Florida finally issued a stay at home for today, but it's April, you know, I mean, this is two weeks after, after a lot of the rest of the country did this stuff and there's still a few states that refuse to do it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like a very combustible situation to me. Well, there's a certain level of madness that's at play here. Now you, you mentioned William Bennett. Uh, for some of our younger listeners, William Bennett was a uh, operative for the Republican Party going back to the Reagan years. Uh, he was, I don't know what is it, they call him the drug czar uh, during the Reagan years, and uh, he was leading the war on drugs. And I read that essay, and, I, and I'm really stretching the word essay to apply it to what he wrote, that drivel he wrote that you alerted to me, because until you told me about it, uh, I did not know it existed, so I read it. Uh, and William Bennett, Again, he, he wrote a bunch of books uh, in the late 80s and early 90s, and he would be talking about how Democrats have embraced a virtueless society, that they had no rules that govern them. It's just unbelievable how people have pivoted in the age of Trump. So he had these book of virtues. I'm not making this up, David. He would have, They were bestsellers. Then he had children's books of virtues, and it was like he took poems of the past. They were all, all, all about, you know, Honoring the family, honoring marriage, honoring the uh, your promises. Don't lie. Okay, this guy is now a full. He's fully embraced Donald Trump, who lies on a regular basis. Was having affairs when his wife just after she gave birth uh, has had bragged about how he ditched his service in the United States and uh, in in the. Um, uh, in the Vietnam War because he had bone spurs. So he's a complete and total, the epitome of everything that William Bennett supposedly believed in back in the day. And now William Bennett has joined the team. So I guess the Book of Virtues is going to rip up the Book of Virtues. But the part that killed me about that essay, he said we should re not declare wars. These are not real wars. We should watch our rhetoric. David, this is the man who was leading the war on drugs throughout the 80s that had a very real impact on thousands of people. We're still struggling with the impact. The utter hypocrisy of the Republican Party is something that... Yeah. So how do you deal with it? it it's like, there's just like nothing you can do to get yourself sort of banished from, you know, from polite society on, on the right, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, Bill Bennett is a disgraced person you know and um he was he was leading the charge for clinton's impeachment remember in 98 because uh you know because we can't have an you should go back and read some of the stuff from that time period it's unbelievable you know uh, we can't have somebody that lies in, in office and you know public um and here he is you know kind of carrying water for trump which is which is bad enough but then uh who, you know who gives this guy a platform um to uh to, to pontificate about about disease trajectories, you know, so this article is written by him and some, um, you know, some some talk show host, the Claremont Institute. Neither one of them knows what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, and it's it's all about this uh, this mania about about getting the economy restarted, um, rather than kind of facing the reality that the government needs to borrow like infinite amounts of cash 
um, to keep people whole until the economy can be restarted. Um, and so it's like no, no, no serious person in, in the medical community or, or the, the epidemiology community believes any of this stuff. Um, you know, the models are contingent. Nobody knows exactly what's going to happen. Um, but the places where we've seen exponential growth, it's gotten really bad, really quick, much worse than the flu. Um, if you've ever talked to this thing, dreadful disease um and so the fact that you know we've grafted this weird partisan politics onto a national crisis um is is concerning you know and it and it, and it goes back to the it goes back to the president himself um in the sense that if the president has been speaking about this seriously and soberly since february and had taken it seriously there wouldn't there wouldn't be a partisan division about yeah. this right because the democrats would trust the scientists who tell them, you know, even if we had to lock down early before it even looked bad, you know, I think most Democratic voters would be inclined to say, yeah, that was, you know, that's the right thing to do. And they would have attacked Trump for that. Um, and then they would have got, he would have gotten his own base on board rather than like sort of priming them for this endless skepticism of, uh, of the responses to the crisis. Um, he himself created uh, what I think will be an enduring partisan split and how we view this crisis. Um, and so, you know, I saw a little bit more hopeful data a couple of days ago in a poll um, that showed most Republicans are also staying at home. So that's, that's good. Um, but it, um, you know, I think that they also don't want to face up to the fact um, that the U.S. kind of twiddled its thumbs for, for six weeks or so. Um, when we should have been mobilizing stockpiles and using the Defense Production Act to get ourselves up to speed with ventilators and, and protective equipment for our, for our doctors. And, um, you know, really, I mean, honestly, just almost in a, in a criminal fashion, just goosing the stock market um, with, with false information that was they, they, they knew was destined um, to not hold up. I, you know, I, for the life of me, I don't understand why Larry Kudlow was going on TV in late February saying that uh, the virus is contained and the stock market's going to keep going up, up. They all knew better, you know? Um, and so it's, it, you know, again, here's politics. It just seems like they want to blame the stock market crash on, uh, on overzealous lockdown measures that they either endorse or, or, or undermine depending on what their political calculations are for that day. And it's just, it's really disgusting. So in the and and by the way, we you haven't got into uh, the pastor in Florida, Reverend Rodney Harris Brown, uh, who in violation of of like the order of the sheriff held a Sunday service where he encouraged people to show up, uh, and not a word from Trump. And so this is where I think actually Trump is afraid of his base. We used to, on the local level, I had many conversations, uh, David, back in the '90s about how Mayor Richard Daly. Daily for all his power, was a little afraid of the police department and didn't want to cross the police department uh, he, uh, on many issues. I'm watching Trump with the evangelicals, and I think that may be the one community that he's afraid to uh, in any way criticize. Here, you know, Reverend Falwell, Jerry Falwell yeah. Jr., inviting everybody back to Liberty University. How many? So yeah, it's crazy, but not a word out of Trump. When the one Dem when that Republican uh, congressman 
whose name escapes me at the moment from Kentucky, I believe it was, called for uh, a, a voice vote of, of, of the stimulus package. Uh, forced Massey. He forced, yeah. yeah, Massey, that's it. He forced all the, uh, the Congress people to come back to uh, the Capitol to uh, uh, pass it. Trump blasted him on Twitter. <laughs> but not a word about uh, Falwell or this nutcase pastor in Florida. So I do think he's intimidated by the evangelicals. Um, so what can the Democrats do? They're the highest, highest turnout group in, in, in the Republican coalition. You know, like they need, they need every one of these evangelicals to turn out for them. Um, so if you shut down, you know, you notice that Florida's order today did not, uh, that it, it designated religious services as essential. So, so churches can remain open in Florida. Um, and that's, you know, that's like not an accident, you know, um, they, they don't, they don't want to shut these things down because they're afraid, um, they're afraid that this group will turn on them. Um, and you've got this whole other sort of strain of, of, uh, of insanity running through the right right now where you, you remember that the Lieutenant Governor of Texas went on TV and, and said he would like to sacrifice himself for, for, you know, to preserve America. Yeah. You know, he's like, I think that all, all of the elderly people in America would be happy to die uh, to preserve the America that we know, you know? Um, and it's like, I don't think he has talked to my parents who would not like to do that. Um, or, you know, anybody, you know, it's just, such, it's sort of, my colleague at the week wrote a piece about, uh, how to expose our contempt for the elderly. A lot of the discourse about this, you know, like the idea that somebody that's 70, it's just like, well, you know, if I make it, I make it. If I don't, I don't. I get life. And it's like, most people get the people who don't feel that way, you know? They're yeah. like, I got 15 years. I want them. I want those years, you know? <laughs> I want to die alone in a hospital to, you know, so that the stock market can, the Applebee's doesn't go bankrupt or whatever, you know? Um, so it's just, uh, that's the kind of madness that you could see taking hold in certain religious communities um, where they say, like, you know, um, that we, we have to preserve, uh, you know, the, the destiny of America uh, granted us by God by, by sacrificing a certain number of people. Um, I'm not a religious scholar, you know, but, but the idea of sacrifice uh, kind of runs pretty deep here. Um, and so the, you just have all of these factors together, you know, the, the, the red states that locked down too late, um, this weird fanaticism about dying for the stock market, um, you know, Trump's dithering, it's like, the mixed messages coming out of the White House, the, the fact that a lot of these important processes have been subcontracted to the stupidest people on the face of the earth. Um, just, just seems like, you know, if you look at these charts of our trajectory, it's the worst in the world. It's the worst in the whole world. Um, and that, does, that doesn't mean I'm, I'm, I'm pessimistic that we're not going to get under control or something, but it, it does seem like this, this president is, is going to be responsible for tens of thousands of excess deaths that could have been prevented. So how, um, how forcefully do you think Democrats uh, should s express what you just said? Nancy Pelosi, I think, a couple days ago said something along the lines of um, while he uh, fiddles, people are dying, which is as close to holding him accountable uh, for what's going on in this country right now. How aggressive should the Democrats, in your humble opinion, be uh, in dealing with Trump? Um, you know, you want to take the level of aggression right now and then unflatten the curve. <laughs> like it needs to be exponentially higher um, in terms of how the party is responding to this like really malign and deadly incompetence. And it's not just about the election. It's about um, sort of forcing the hands of the few reasonable people left in D.C. 
to do the things that they need to do. You know, so there's a political element, um, which is you, you have to you have to at least try to nail Trump to the wall about this. Um, and you, you know, I mean, you, you know about what you know what Biden has been saying. Um, just so we don't know if we want to criticize the president. You know, it's uh, Democrats are adopting this weird post 9/11. Um, you know, don't don't criticize George Bush uh, attitude about this, um, which you know, in, in a couple of months following 9/11, maybe made some political sense because Bush was at 90 percent. Um, but this yes can't even get to 50 percent in, in the middle of a crisis where Trudeau is at 67 percent. Even Macron is, is popular again in France. My God, miracle, miracle! <laughs> uh, yeah. Leaders around the world have seen 20 points in popularity. This guy's sitting on three percent because because he's just so hated by half the country and it's just no cost to pay um, to, to escalate your rhetoric a little bit, at least try to, to every day they should be identifying uh, failures that, uh, of the president. They should be taking his words at these ridiculous press conferences and making them into ads immediately. Um, like a couple of days ago when he accused doctors in New York of stealing masks. Um, picture this. I'm not an ad man, Ben, but I mean, picture this. On the one hand, you know, half screen, you've got Trump accusing doctors of stealing masks. The other part of the screen, you've got you've got interviews with doctors outside of these these these, uh, these ICUs talking about the mayhem and the carnage that they're seeing and the sacrifices that they're making for their families to keep people alive, um, and just juxtapose the you know the, the the clownish idiocy of the president of the United States with with the people who are doing the frontline work of, of saving you know saving thousands of people um, from what is re- really a, a quite unpleasant death yeah. threat. Right? Like, you don't want to die from this thing. So. Um, I, I just, just for the life of me, I don't understand why that's not happening. <laughs> now, you're making a, a compelling point at two fronts. On one hand, there's a political argument. I'll get to that. But on the other hand, there's a matter of saving lives. And you, you should not hesitate to criticize Donald Trump's insanity because it's endangering people. It's endangering those doctors and those nurses and the medical staffers who have to go to work and confront it and deal with sick people even though they themselves are exposed to the disease and then they can bring it to their families so the fear that they have is real and if you pretend that we're kind of like all in it together behind our president even though he's a lunatic and he is behaving in a way that is endangering lives then you are fact and complicit in endangering lives. So I just think from a health standpoint. Yeah. And yet it seems like so many. From a health standpoint. And, yeah. Uh, you know, no, it's just frustrating. And it's like, you know, the way that the president is obviously seeing this, it's the, it's the only, the only map that this idiot can hold in his head is, is the map that he can get off of health. Yeah. Um, so what he sees right now is he sees a bunch of really bad situations in blue state, big cities in blue states. Um, and he thinks that that's going to be the end of it. You know, like the thing's going to run its course in New York. Um, it's never going to get into, you know, uh, I don't know, like the, you know, the oil patches of Texas or something. Um, and he can, you know, uh, the way the conservatives treated treated AIDS in the 80s, you know, which is like, well, it's just affecting a bunch of people that we hate anyway. So why take it that seriously? Um, and, and I think that they think that they can get away with this. And um, Democrats should be, and, and Democrats in Congress, should, first of all, should not be on recess right now. Just, just bananas. Um, they should figure out a way to vote remotely, um, pass you know pass a bill, get it done. Um, 
neighbor and infect each other, which they had obviously been doing for weeks, um, and, and, and get to work uh, shoring up the economy. You know, like Canada just passed a, a bill that extended these 2000, the 2000 Canadian dollar payments to every citizen for four months, right? And we, we wrote a $1,200 check to everybody for one month, right? which is not even going to cover rent in, in our city, right? Um, it's just, uh, it's just an obviously sort of inadequate response. Um, they should be out there every day calling on, uh, the president to authorize the Defense Production Act to, to, um, to ramp up uh, production of ventilators and, and masks and things like that. Um, they should be calling out any, um, sort of injustice in the way that the existing resources are being distributed. You know, like, uh, Florida gets everything that it has asked for and Illinois has like 10% of what it asked for. You know, we think that's an accident. It's not an accident. Like, they're treating blue states differently than red states or purple, particularly swing states. Uh, you know, Arizona got everything they wanted to. Um, and I'm not, you know, not resentful of Arizona and Florida. Like, everybody should get what they need. Um, it's just like, um, you know, this is, a, this is just such an easy political choice to make. Um, that is, you know, you want to, you want to get the right things done and passed. And so, um, you know, the compromises are going to have to be made. You don't want to be sticking, um, you know, provisions in the bills about, you know, like card check or whatever, like stuff that we would like to see happen. It's going to have to wait um, because that anything that's passed right now needs to be either directly relevant to the crisis or about safeguarding the, the November election. Um, but, the, you know, the, the, the fact that, you know, Schumer and Pelosi, they just, they are what they are, right? Um, and they are not built for this kind of public combat that the president is undertaking. So what's happening is that, you know, the press, I'm on the president's uh, email list, you know, so I get their rapid responses every single day. Um, and they're just, they're better at it than, than we are. You know, they're, they're playing politics and managing the crisis at the same time. Obviously, they're not doing a good job of managing the crisis, but they're doing a great job of playing the politics. Um, and so, you know, once again, <laughs> Democrats are cooperating to make the president look good. Um, instead of doing what they need to do for the people and then trying as hard as they can to make the president look bad. I, I agree with you. Yeah. It's, it's very frustrating. And uh, the uh, to the point you're making, I too get those emails and bashing Democrats on a routine basis. Uh, when I criticized Joe Biden, I told you this earlier, I, the response I got from, I call them Biden bros, many Biden lovers, was to tone down, we should all rally around Biden and recognize that it would hurt his campaign if he aggressively criticized Trump because swing voters are offended by people trying to take partisan advantage of a crisis. I'm like, what universe are you living in, Biden lovers? The, Demo the Republicans are taking advantage of this crisis yeah every single day to the point where you have a pastor in Florida showing his defiance of all the doctors and the scientists in the world by bringing everybody into a church and saying, daring the, the authorities to arrest him and making a religious First Amendment issue. David, sometimes I think that the, the Democrats have fallen in love with what? A uh, a strategy that almost guarantees self defeat. I mean, they just they exist in a different universe that is gone, you know. And it's the, it's the universe of the '80s, where if a tragedy struck the United States, 
you know, the parties would work together to, to come to the, to the best solution to save the most people. Um, and the people that run the country right now are not like that. People that run the country right now want to preserve their own power at all costs. And if that cost is, a, is 50,000, 100,000 lives that could have otherwise been saved, then, then so be it. Um, because they, they regard the Democrats as, as illegitimate. You know, they regard Democrats coming to power as, as the end of the Republic. You know, we're going to go door to door taking people's guns and, uh, I don't know, socialize the medicine, the medical system. And, you know, they, they have a, they have an apocalyptic reading about what would happen if Democrats won. And so in, in, in that sense, they think that any, any tactic is, uh, is justifiable to keep, to keep the opposition away from, from power. Um, and Biden in particular, it's like so crazy that, that the person that we've settled on is the person that is, is honestly the most delusional, um, about the possibility of getting Republicans to work with him. Um, and so the idea that, that, that avoiding criticism of President Trump will help the Democrats in November, um, just flies in the face of, of literally everything that we've learned about politics in this country over the last 20 years. Like, did it, I mean, Democrats, did successfully, I think, make some political hay out of out of Bush's handling of Katrina. Like nobody at the time was saying, like, well, we can't, you know, we can't criticize President Bush over his handling of Katrina. It was, you know, it, it was obviously a botched um, response. You know, they they seized on the most ridiculous comments. You know, heck of a job, Brownie, and they repeated them over and over again, and then they took Congress. Um, and so. And, and I think if Bush was at about the same approval level at the time as Trump is now, this was in 2005, you know, the Iraq war was starting to take its toll. Bush was in the 40s, um, where Trump is. Trump is in the 40s already. Um, he's getting a, a kind of a sugar high, I think, from some Democrats saying that they approve of, of what he's doing, even though they're, they're still saying they're not going to vote for him. Um, so I'm not super worried about his approval spike yet. Um, but I, I am worried that Biden will continue this posture of um, not confronting the president into the fall, particularly in the debate, you know, um, if he, if he said, you know, there was this, uh, there was this debate about, you know, whether we should call the president a mass murderer. <laughs> and I'm like, of course we should call the president a mass murderer, right? It's exactly what he is. Uh, he's, you know, he's shooting people in the middle of Fifth Avenue right now. Um, literally. And so, um, you know, the idea that Republicans would refrain from doing that to us for a single second is just crazy. Remember how, re- how crazy Republicans went over Ebola in, yes. in 2014, which was a disease that, like, you know, 10 people in, in the whole country um, and is not easily transmissible and was never never really going to be the kind of threat that people were fearing it would be. Not not to say that it shouldn't have been treated seriously, but it's not, the same, it's not even in the same category of threat to us. Um, and they, you know, they they relentlessly politicized the Obama administration's response to that. Um, they made it, you know, racialized, you know, like they're doing now in terms of, uh, you know, it's like an African menace, just the way it's the Chinese virus. By so, the way, um, yeah, no, go ahead. I was going to say the uh, polls. If, if if you put too much stock in it at any single poll. Either a Democrat or Republican, you're going uh, to be disappointed ultimately. The 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 latest poll that I just saw showed that uh, he's Trump's down back to where he was before the the sugar high, as you call it, is, has has uh, uh, faded. I, I I don't see how any Democrat 
can seriously look in the mirror and say they think that Donald Trump is doing a good job uh, in the middle of this pandemic. All right. The final question I'll, I'll put to you, and I'll probably ask you this question several times uh, uh, over the next few weeks. What are the odds that uh, President Obama has a private meeting with uh, Joe Biden to request that he leave the ticket uh and so that the Democrats can go into the uh, November election with a, uh, a different candidate at the top of the ticket. What do you think of that possibility? You know, it's, it's a non-zero possibility. I mean, it's, it's in addition to the sort of the longstanding issues that Biden has had in his campaign in terms of, you know, speaking in six sentences um, and, and rolling out any kind of policies that are interesting that he can actually talk about. Um, we have this, uh, we now have a sexual assault allegation against him that that seems, I, you know, I'm not the judge of whether things are credible or not credible, but if there's no, there's no reason to a priori dismiss it as something that's not serious. Um, and it, I think it's being buried by the news of the day, but I, one of my, you know, I fear that it's going to, going to come back in the summer or the fall, just at the worst possible time. Um, you know, yeah, obviously Trump will invite, you know, this woman and her family to the to the debates like he did with Hillary Clinton's accusers and um, she's just gonna run the same playbook against him. And if if Biden were were more nimble um, and had a better comms team and had a better response team, I'd I'd feel less worried about that. Um, but it's uh, it's definitely a significant concern. I mean I, I uh, um, he just his appearances don't inspire confidence. They're not all uniformly terrible. Um, sometimes he says the right thing, and sometimes he reads successfully from the notes that are given to him. Um, <laughs> I trust that he would appoint people to manage the, the crisis, which we'll probably still be dealing with um, next year. Uh, so I'm not worried about that. It's just, um, you know, we, we had a candidate that already had some 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 holes in the in the sheets and. and on the sailboat and now we have another problem that, that I don't think people are really come to confronting seriously enough yet um, and that, that sets up a pretty potentially calamitous situation at the convention um, it sets up a pretty potentially calamitous situation after the convention um, everybody needs to, to read the DNC's rules for replacing nominees very carefully given given that both of the remaining contenders in the race are, are of the age where your mortality from contracting COVID-19 is very high. Um, one or both of them could get it. One or both of them could die. Um, a little more worried about Bernie at this point. He's been spending so much time in the Senate. But, um, you, you know, uh, if there's a lot of scenarios that came out in terms of how this could unfold. Um, that is, you know, something could happen to Biden between now and the convention. Probably some other establishment candidate would get back in. Um, you know, maybe Bernie would have a lead over that person. Um, but to be honest, I don't think that he would get the nomination. And um, that'll just kind of piss off half the party <laughs> um, uh, in a pretty unproductive way. Yeah. So it's uh, also, I mean, has anybody even talked about how they're going to hold the convention um, in a situation where uh, there's almost certainly going to be bans on massive gatherings? Um, how are they going to vote? Are they set up procedures to remote vote? It's just uh, um, there's a there's an escalating series of potential 
landmines that we're facing as we head into an election season like this with this unprecedented situation in our hands. Yeah, I, I would point out that uh, many of the centrist Dems uh, spent much of February sending out these ominous warnings of the dire consequence for the entire party from senator on down to state rep if Bernie is the head of the ticket. And now <laughs> when somebody like me points out the weaknesses of Joe Biden, which f in my opinion f are far greater than what Bernie brought to the table, there's you we're told shut up be quiet fall in line <laughs> you know it'll all be okay wait <laughs> i don't know sometimes they think they got their eyes closed and their fingers in your ears david is so they can block out all the bad news david ferris is my guest we're gonna have to let him go from roosevelt university thank you very much david appreciate you taking time we'll bring you back on real soon all right no it's been great to be here and we will see each other in person again soon i promise all right, that's the great David Ferris. And uh, yeah, he uh, wrote the book on how uh, Democrats should be more like Republicans, not uh, in embracing insane ideologies and where you encourage people to go to church in the middle of a pandemic, but in terms of playing it tough and, uh, and that's not letting the Republicans get away with murder. All right, thank you very much, David Ferris. It's been a great show today. We're going to uh, we'll sign off. I want to thank, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Illinois who wheels and deals at the board, does it every day, and deserves a raise. So if they don't give it to you, D, you know what to do. Take it out of petty cash. <laughs> See you tomorrow, everybody. <laughs>